Hi, I'm Jennifer Mulholland. And I'm Jeff Shuck. We're the co-leaders of Plenty. Thanks for joining our podcast, Plenty for Everyone. Each episode, we talk with conscious leaders like you to explore abundance in work and life, fulfillment in head and heart, and ways we can all work together to make this world a better place. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our latest episode of Plenty for Everyone. We are so glad that you're here. My name is Jeff Shuck. I am the co-leader of Plenty, and with me, as always, is Plenty's other co-leader, Jennifer Mulholland. She's talking to you from our wonderful retreat center, Heart Space, in Park City, Utah. And I'm in Michigan City, Indiana, where it's a lovely fall day here. We are really thrilled today to introduce you to, I would say, one of the wisest and kindest, most genuine people I know, my good friend, Venu Gupta, who is a change agent, an activist, a mother, a writer, a thinker, a friend, and a wonderful human being. And we'll let Bainu tell you a little bit about what she is up to, but I'll give you a quick quick read on her. She's one of those underachievers that you meet that <laughs> has a law degree from some school in Bo- oh, Harvard, I think it's called, and then decided to get an MBA from Kellogg, which is where I met Bainu. And we spent a couple years, she spent most of those years telling me not to stress about the work there. She has a lifelong history in creating a better world, honestly, in being on the side of creating justice for people, for speaking for people who who need someone to speak for them or need to be amplified in their voice. When I met her, she worked at the Chicago Committee for Diversity and Law. She's been at the Shriver Center and now works at Mother Jones. And I'll just stop there because I think it's better if people hear from you, Vainu. But Vainu Gupta, welcome to Tea for Everyone. Well, thank you. It's thrilling to be reunited with you, Jeff. It's been a while and so lovely to to meet Jennifer. I also just want to give a shout out to Brian. Brian, thanks so much for making this happen and doing all of the work that it takes to get people in all the right places. So thanks. Jeff is right. We met in business school and I was very envious of Jeff's acumen and work ethic and ability to be productive. I was not particularly productive, (laughs) but it was nice to be around people who were. (laughs) Clearly he did the heavy lifting. (laughs) For sure. Yeah, for sure. But by choice, I will say that Jeff is somebody who, as you know, Jennifer is someone who is driven and likes to get things done. So he got a lot done and was really sort of interested in the in data and statistics and it was cool to see him head in that direction but jeff you were always someone like the minute that you walked in as someone you know you just struck me and i think a lot of people as somebody who had tremendous leadership abilities and tried to walk humbly with them so it was really good to have a chance to get to know you and also learn from you. So I'm so glad that we met. Well, this episode has gotten embarrassing really quickly. I just want to do that. <laughs> I can say other stuff. <laughs> I'm not sure it's good radio, but thank you. 
It's very kind. It's all true. It is true. Yeah, I would still be like ordering food and Jeff would be done with the assignment. <laughs> like, well, sorry, I'll have to get that. I'll have to get that to you next week. It's so true. That's why he's so, that's why he's like putting his head down and his face is turning red. So from there, it was very cool to see Jeff's work join with yours, Jennifer, and become plenty. And what a lovely name that is really to think about abundance and plentifulness in a space, sort of the nonprofit industrial complex, where we often think about not having enough or always just getting by. Even having a mindset shift is really critical. And I'm not surprised that, Jeff, you sort of are at the forefront of that. And as I'm getting to know Jennifer, that you're part of that too, Jennifer. As for me, I have been sort of interested in two things. One is systems and how systems shape our interactions as humans. So economics, law, other things, and then humans themselves and how we find meaning and whose meaning gets to define the narrative and then how those narratives end up shaping the systems that define us. It's very 50,000 foot, but in looking at that, it has always struck me that some meanings and narratives shape the lives of, well, they shape the lives of all people and even people who suffer under those narratives. So I have been pretty compelled to change narratives and the collective meaning that we stand for as you know, whether that's in a community or in a city or as a country. Well, so beautifully spoken. I love the theme of meaning and finding meaning, what we stand for, and certainly what we aim to help people find their place in the world that is meaningful, that is hopeful, that makes this world a better place. Maybe share a little bit if you feel comfortable about where are you finding meaning? What matters to you now in this political climate, in this pandemic, in this paradigm shift that we're living through literally where old systems of hierarchical nature, of control, of separation and competition are giving way and crumbling. They're no longer supported. These systems are giving way to something else, to a more cooperative, hopefully more harmonious society. And we're in the in-between. In that system approach, where are you, or personal approach, where are you finding meaning? What matters to you now in the roles that you play? I really appreciate that question. And then I, I'm happy to answer, but then would love to hear your answers as well. The truth is I'm struggling. I'll be perfectly honest. I don't know. I am someone who would be categorized as politically on the left and progressive. And I categorize myself that way. And at the same time, I grew up in a fairly conservative new immigrant household. And I say that to say that while I want change, I'm not necessarily comfortable with the process of change. So I was actually just thinking about writing about this. I actually feel I'm very uncomfortable. I don't like 
not knowing what tomorrow is going to look like or whether or not even our faulty democracy is going to work or whether COVID cases will rise or fall. It makes me incredibly uncomfortable and so uncomfortable that my internal program sometimes just wants to go back to the way it was, or I just want some solid ground. And because of because the ground is shifting, I've had trouble knowing where to find meaning from. So many of the things that I thought were seamed together, even if they weren't, they appeared to have seams to me, have now to me come undone. So I am having trouble finding meaning from that solid ground because there isn't any, and maybe there never was, and maybe there shouldn't be. But my relationship to that has been challenging over the past couple of years. What that has led me to is figuring out how I'm going to find meaning internally. Like, how am I going to center myself in myself so that what changes around me doesn't blow me this way and that way? I don't know if either of you have those tendencies, but I certainly do. And certainly as someone with anxiety do. And so how do we center ourselves in ourselves? So even as things sway back and forth, we know where to look and we know how to get grounded without ground. And so we've done a lot of spirit work. There is a monk that I follow. His name is Thich Nhat Hanh. He's a Vietnamese monk who lives in Vietnam currently. He founded the Order of Interbeing. And his philosophy is that this cannot be without that, so that we are all products of all that is around us. And that suffering, you cannot escape suffering. But the real trick or hack, as the kids say, is to figure out how to suffer. One of his famous sayings is, no mud, no lotus. It reminds me of where meaning is, but it's been really hard. I feel like things are coming undone and I'm scared. What about you, Jennifer, Jeff? Where where are you finding meaning? First of all, I just want to say what a lovely answer that was and for modeling what so many people feel. And I want to say to people who found that resonant, there's a place for feeling like things are coming undone. And you just gave us, I think, the wisest answer we've had in talking with people about how they're feeling. One thing I'd say, and maybe I'll just go quickly, and then I'd love, Jen, for you to unmute, and we can all kick this around. But I love your recommendation, Venu. And we have probably recommended, well, everything by Pema Chodron, but particularly the book Comfortable with Uncertainty, 8,000 times. And... 4,000 of those times in the last few months. And that, the logo of plenty is a ripple and it is that way for so many reasons that we don't have to get into here. But one of the reasons is we start with ourselves and when things seem to be collapsing all around us, we draw on what's closest to us. And That can be, you know, the love of our family or the appreciation of the day, but to pull it even closer in where you just went, it's how we give ourselves stability, how we're comfortable with the idea that stability is an illusion, how even as we feel comfortable right now, we're growing and aging and changing, and how we get comfortable with the idea that that change and growth is part of what we're here to do. 
I think it, for me, it's also helped. And then I'll stop. It's helped acknowledging how disruptive things have been instead of papering it over. And I think every single podcast episode we've done the last six months, I've said something to the effect of the cost has really been high. The cost for humanity has really been high. And yet things are being unearthed that need to be unearthed. So we can hold those in duality. Like I don't need to, I don't need to say it's worth it. I can say too many people have died. Too many people have been killed. Too many injustices have been tolerated. But I can also say without tolerating any of that, that this is needed if we're going to create change. Jen, we've talked about this like literally every single day. I'd love to yeah, I love the thank you for reflecting it back to us. And I love you, both of your answers. You know, I find that when I think about where am I finding meaning or stability when things feel like they are in upheaval or in disarray or are not seen and then they're seeing that, that discomfort, I'm finding meaning in my relationship to source. And you can call it spirit, the universe, God, nature. We call it, you know, at Lantern, this, this idea of a larger light guiding us. And, and ever since I was a little girl, quite honestly, my truth has been that I am a co-creative being, meaning that my relationship to source is active. It's a relationship. And my the blessing of being incarnated at this time in history into form, into a human being is that I actually get to co-create with that divine part of myself that's in everything. And I notice when I feel most lost, I'm not looking to that source within myself that's always on and ever present and ever expansive and intelligent and good. And when I can rely on that connectivity and that relationship, that goodness, that force that's ever living, it has vitality, it's moving, it's changing. And I get to play a part in that with trust and faith that it has my back, that I am protected, that things work out. I find that I'm finding meaning and more grounding and peace in that place. And when I'm in that kind of inquiry or openness or when I'm looking in that direction, then a bunny crosses my path or a eagle flies right in front of me or a hawk or a gentle deer. And I notice the signs that are feel like I then place meaning on what they mean, right? And growing up, I was introduced to a lot of spiritual faiths and especially Native American tradition. So all of animals' spirits have consciousness and they all have meaning. So my automatic tendency is to look up the meaning of an animal or a sign that comes across my path that takes me out of the personal. It takes me out like, oh, I'm living, I'm part of something so much bigger that I can't see. I'm connected to something greater. And that's my hope for humanity is that we, as we're in this shift, honestly, finding meaning that we're not so alone because walking it alone feels frightening. It feels lonely. It's scary. It's messy. And so when I can feel the meaning of connection 
in all living things and see that connection regardless of our skin color, our ethnicity, where we come from, what we have, what we have not. I feel like I'm part of something bigger and that helps me come out of the the days when it feels really shitty and lonely and scary. Part of why I struggle is I feel helpless, right? And I think prior to the election of Donald Trump, rightly or wrongly, I didn't feel helpless. Now, I may have been helpless, but I didn't feel that way, right? What I'm talking about is a very tangible manifestation of what meaning might look like on the ground for me. So if I'm deriving meaning, knowing that every living being suffers and that suffering is part of life, and it's a question of how we suffer. So how I suffer is by trying to acknowledge that I'm suffering and say, what can I change? And I don't feel like there's much that I can change. And so that helplessness has been really challenging. And I think, Jeff, it goes back to your point, right, that maybe helplessness is really surrender and that my not feeling helpless before was an illusion. But nonetheless, it's there. So I wonder how you derive meaning and reconcile it with what's happening externally, if that makes sense. So a couple thoughts, and I love that point. I just, you're just the best, Bingu. You make confusion seem so certain. <laughs> like, you actually seem <laughs> so grounded. <laughs> you're, you seem so grounded. And a few things are occurring to me. One is, and listeners will know we've talked about this on a few previous episodes, but there's the limitation I feel in the kind of liberal conservative axis. You know, there's, there's many other dimensions to our view of government in our world. And I, I feel strongly that we have been exposed to the reality that government and leadership are two very different things. And a hope I have over the next year from what we've all lived through the past few years is not just that there's a change in the presidency, although I hope for that. I hope that we expect less of that and expect more of our communities and ourselves. I don't mean that in a political way. I mean that in a way of leadership. And so that's one thing that strikes me that I can engineer all the way back to myself is some of the instability I felt is the falling away of like, oh, I thought I could count on that. Why did I think I could count on that? Why did I ever buy into that? An example we've used over and over on this show has been the false choice that, or the real choice that many communities had to make, particularly in March and April, and now again, about, well, we have to open schools, even though it might not be safe for students and teachers to do so, because schools are the only way that children get fed. What a terrible system that is. And so I think like it's really easy for me to get lost in the shouting back and forth about the choice and where I'm finding stability. And maybe my way of helping is to pull back and be like, well, that's a terrible choice that we should have. Why did we ever accept that system? That doesn't get me to the answer. But I think by being one of the people saying like, wait a second, 
this is not the right dialogue to have. It's where I'm finding a way to help. And I think the second thing I'd say that's related to that, that maybe is, and Jen, I'm curious about your thought of this, is that just the idea of being in conversation is a theme I hear from both of you. Before the episode started, Venu came on the line and we were catching up personally. And I told Venu that I just took my 18-year-old and dropped him off at college. And the first thing she said, going for my soft underbelly was, you're so old. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, you did not say that. But that's an, been an interesting, I just turned 50. And so I've had this whole internal dialogue about that going on during watching the racial system be exposed, watching COVID ravage, watching the economic collapse. In some ways, turning 50 is as relevant to me. And it sounds probably silly and selfish, but it's been so helpful to go through that right now because there ain't no reversing it and there ain't no walking it backwards. And so you learn a little bit of grace. And what I'm learning is to be in conversation with my body and myself. And instead of like, I think I've turned 50, which with so much more grace than I did turning 40, because I'm not trying to fix my aches and pains. I'm not trying to say I'm still a young person. I'm, I'm trying to say like, here's where I am. And being in conversation and being gentle. And I think that idea of dialogue has really been lost. We consume media in a way that's totally one way. We can easily find an echo chamber. We want to shout it without listening. And so I'm not sure, Jen, I'm going to turn to you if this is totally making sense. But the idea of having an active conversation with source, with spirit, with one another, with oneself, I feel like that's my first step to saying I'm not helpless. I have a voice listening to my own dialogue instead of numbing it away, which I probably spent most of the first part of COVID doing. So like that active conversation, Jen, is what I hear you saying. And I think it's part of where finding the way to help comes back in. I love that. Yeah, I think what bubbles up for me is curiosity of two sides of the coin of meaning. Because uh, when I just shared that I put meaning on positive signs, I've made them positive to help have them be breadcrumbs to give me more more inspiration, hope to see that connection in all things. The flip side of that in your intent around conversation is there's misuse of meaning. The misuse of meaning is that once we place meaning on something, we fix it. And we fix it with our sight and our belief. Then we become positional that that is the right way to see the world. That's the right way to see the topic. That's the right way to see the challenge. Because we've given it meaning, which means we've given it power. And the more power we give it, the more fuel we give it to grow. And I think what's coming up for me in my commitment to be conscious, which means to me and to us as we define conscious leadership, is to become more awake and aware and attuned. That means open to the conversation. It means being willing to say, is the meaning I'm putting on something accurate or is it made up? Do I really know that to be true? 
what other perspective could I invite in? Could I listen to, to validate or invalidate the meaning I'm placing on something? And I think that's what's missing. And the I do hear the spirit in my circle and in my friends. There's a real genuine, authentic intent to want to help. And I so hear you around the hopelessness of that. What change can we really make is what I, I like that hopelessness around what is possible given the state of affairs. And I would say like last night, my girl, a few girlfriends that I know some well better than others, the four of us got together and talking about how could we help with this election? Like, what could we do in the mountain town of Park City that would make a damn of a difference? And we don't know, like none of us knew the answer, but we knew who to ask. Like we knew maybe who to bring to the table or what phone calls to make. And it was all about connections. And I guess I, in the, in the feeling of hopelessness, the opposite of like the definition that, that we use all that Neil Donald Walsh has, the acronym for hope is helping other people evolve. So like the opposite of hopelessness, like meaning there's no solution, the giving up, the surrender to what could I possibly do, to what could I do that could help open this conversation or help evolve the dialogue or make it different than it is now. And I don't know, I just, I feel like there's a more opening to myself of being willing to have different conversations than I was a year ago that I thought I was so right on. And now I'm like, oh my God, that was wrong. Or I was putting meaning so strongly in a belief system and passionate about it. And now, like you're saying, like being crushed in a way of learning and seeing certain things that just felt like, oh, wow, I didn't see that coming. Or I never thought that person would feel that way or see that way or vote that way. Like that's coming up a lot right now. I think it's really interesting when you talk about the double-sided coin of meaning. It's interesting, like I'm really enjoying our conversation, but Jeff, when you referenced like, I, you know, part of where you see yourself manifesting it as being open to conversation, the systems person in me, the lawyer in me, is like, well, fuck conversation. We've been having conversations for centuries. And this is not to you. This is really like a conversation. This is an inner dialogue I have with myself that we, the three of us, and if we include Brian, (laughs) the four of us are in a privilege to only have conversation. We're in a privileged position to let conversation be our guiding light. And I guess I just wonder what conversation is going to do to ameliorate the box, the literal crate we have put people of color in and especially black Americans. Right. So, and I'm, I am saying this as this kind of like the rage that I feel and then the helplessness that I feel, and then trying to find meaning from someplace else. And that this conversation is sort of touching on all of those things. I think you're right. Conversation is important as a way to manifest our meaning. And then also, if I think about Thich Nhat Hanh, right, what he did during the Vietnam War is 
irrespective of who was injured during that war, he, he cared for them and was out there caring for them. And I'm not doing that, but I, I just wonder where is my caring for, how do I transform that, that suffering? Yeah. One thing for the listeners, I want to say, Brian, who they knew has mentioned a couple of times is our wonderful consultant, Brian Funk, who does a lot of great things for Plenty, including help produce the podcast. So I do want to, without sounding, let me clarify what I mean. I don't really mean conversation like the conversation we're having. I don't mean like reach out to your neighbor across the aisle and talk about that. I mean being an inquiry and questioning what you see. I mean being in conversation with yourself instead of choosing to be in the echo chamber. And I, so not to make it a semantic point, but I would say you are in conversation, right? You are in dialogue right now saying, how does this make sense? And where I would thread that back to where you're going is my inquiry leads me to question the faith I'm putting in the things I had previously put faith in. So as an example, if we want the same systemic change, I think there's a real trap in saying it's all going to be fine if Biden wins. I don't believe that at all, right? And I'm sure you and you don't either. But it's tricky to fall into that. Like, I think the inquiry for me has been and why I chose that example of the school system that may not be the right example of like, where have I taken a pass kind of on saying like, these big systems will take care of it when there's a human system that has kind of been under, under resourced. I don't know if that's totally making sense, but the dialogue I mean is like questioning one's own assumptions and questioning the stability that we think we're getting from certain things, the investments we're making in places, what we're consuming and why. When we were prepping for this briefly, Jen said, tell me about Venu. And one of the things I said about Mother Jones is I really appreciate Mother Jones the way I might say I appreciate like the National Review in the sense that the biases are out there. It's not like CNN and Fox News like pretending to be fair and balanced. Like it's bullshit. No, Mother Jones is like, we have a viewpoint. This is our platform. This is what we think. Like that helps me when I'm in dialogue because what I've seen is I have to consciously reach out for perspectives. Otherwise, I get kind of programmed by whatever comes at me. And so like owning the biases, being willing to say like, whatever those things are, this is the, my stance. I have a liberal view on things, as you said, or I'm white, so I can't totally understand. That's how I enter a conversation about race by saying like, I have a totally different perspective that may make it so I can't even understand where you're coming from. But from that acknowledgement, then I open a door into dialogue my comment was right off of your last sentence and your last spoken words about care and caring for others when they're suffering. And I guess like, I don't think we can give what we don't give ourselves. So if that non, I always could never pronounce the name, right? Like if that is a role model to you 
and he resonates the principles of being in suffering and the muddy waters that burst the lotus, then there's something in you that desires that ability to care in spite of suffering. And I think our work collectively is like, how do we give that to ourselves? How are you caring for yourself in the stressful time and all the roles you play? And are you filling up in that care for your own self in order to give? And that's the question like I'm trying to really ponder with that's stirring up is my caregiving. I've always been a caregiver in all my relations. And my care for my son who's healing from an accident is stirring up. And I can see how I'm having to unlearn and learn new behaviors to care for Jennifer. It's stirring for me at a deeper level of, oh, I really, in some times of my life, I've just been pushing through to care for everybody else, leaving myself on last on the list. And now I see the consequence of that. I see how important it is. And I see how the meaning of that being selfish that some of us have been taught in society is total bullshit, that we can't give what we don't have. So what does that care in our own suffering look like? Like, how do we get extend that of that beautiful example that you shared that he's doing in the spirit of suffering, giving care despite the presence of suffering, how do we do that for ourselves? Yeah, I think that's a really important question. I guess what I feel like hasn't been unearthed enough, maybe for me, because I could, in some ways, the well is is deeper than I'm actually able to, that I have the emotional bandwidth for. I think that that space exists for people in a certain class and with certain privileges. So I hear you, yes. And I think it is a really important question. I guess the question that I would ask from that is, how do we care for people who don't have that? I have tremendous economic privilege. I have a support, like I cannot fail. Even when I had anxiety and was having panic attacks, right? There is a support network that is so tightly knit I would get whatever I needed whenever I needed. And if money was money would not have been an object. Right. And so how do we take some of the space that we have for that and share that power? Right. And this is helpful because it's helping me clarify kind of how I can manifest the meaning we were talking about earlier. And I think many people have given what they cannot give themselves. Just as an example, I think when people of color talk to white people or non-black people talk to when black people talk to non-black people that right having to explain and give examples about when they feel vulnerable hurt othered right they are giving of themselves and yet not necessarily getting that back in return from society so i hear you and i think it's a really important question and all of us need to have space all of us should have the the luxury of being able to care for ourselves. And then I also wonder how do we share that and give that to others? Yeah. And I want to acknowledge something you just said that 
this that has come up repeatedly, certainly on the podcast for people who've been listening and in some of our writings, for some of us, the last six months have been a great pause that has allowed us to really reflect. And that some of us is probably 10% of people, right? For other people, they're going to emerge poorer than ever and more aware that there might not be a system there to help them. So I definitely want to acknowledge that. And I'm grateful that I'm also in that 10%. I don't know. And I'm just trying to be confident that in the not knowing is the first step to knowing. Just like I would say, you know, personally, you haven't asked for this, but only those who are helping worry about being helpless. And the work you're doing, the writing you're doing, where you're putting your time, the volunteer work you're doing, the campaigning you're doing is helping. I would just tell you that. I hope you know that. Maybe what we need is more people feeling so helpless that they start doing the things you're doing. I think for me, there's some disconnect in the middle, right? The need seems to be acknowledged more and more. There's policy solutions. It ain't that hard to look at a budget and figure out how you do it. But there's this great middle ground of will and of desire. And like, I think that's where I've kind of, I don't mean to say that government doesn't matter because we have to harness that money and we have to, we'll have to enforce some things that most, some people don't seem willing to do on their own. But like, it doesn't seem to be an issue of resources or policy. And less and less, it seems to be an issue of awareness because people are waking up. But how do we work on the big middle of like, it's not my problem. And I don't know the answer, but I, I find more and more, I'm less drawn to the, the policy folks will figure it out. There's clearly money if we want to create it because we just created a whole bunch over the last six months that, by the way, we're going to be able to show went to the 10%, a lot more than it went to the 90%. That's, gonna, that's almost not disputed. So where do we work on the will? Where do we work on the idea that we're all the same? Where do we work on the idea that even if it's not happening in my backyard, it matters to me? Where do we work on the idea that we all have the same backyard? I don't know. Like when I feel less confident, I can see a scenario where there's 10 more years of really, really painful disruption. And yet I also feel like maybe that's how the mountain rises from the ocean. Like maybe it doesn't happen slowly. Maybe it just happens through the eruption. So either way, I kind of feel like I don't get a say in how it happens. I just get a say in what I do about it. And I love the inquiry, though. My hope is that the, the honest inquiry, like, that's where things start. What do you think, Jen? We could talk for days. I love this conversation. It feels so deep and rich. And I hope our listeners are finding it the same I think it brings up some thoughts around conversations, Jeff, you and I have a lot, and it's one of the ways we define plenty is this idea that there's enough to go around. There is enough. We have enough, and you are enough. 
and the worthiness that gets entangled with hopelessness. I'm curious about what's that relationship because I can hear my head want to justify the privilege of worthiness and the inequities in not having privilege and that impact on worthiness. And when we don't feel worthy, when we don't feel that we have access to enough or that we are enough, what happens in systems, right? What happens in our, the symbiotic relationships that we have as individuals to systemic society and the paradigms we're talking about. And I think there's a relationship there that the less worthy we feel, the less enough we feel we are, the more we perpetuate systems, systems of scarcity or systems of injustice and systems of inequities and systems, because it comes from a foundation that we're not enough as we are right now. And I'm just, I don't have the answer, but I'm really curious about that dialogue of us as individuals as what is the change we can make one-on-one in our families and our relationships and our businesses and our movements. And then what is the change we can make on a societal level level? And I'm hopeful that it is possible. It is that ripple. It starts with each one of us. I'm hopeful about that, but you have a, given me a lot to think about and us a lot to chew on too. And the, in the inquiry of meaning and the inquiry of suffering and the inquiry of the, of the lostness of it all right now and really appreciate your honesty and humanness as, as you like us are trying to find our way. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you. And really appreciate the, the time we've had to talk. I, I will just say, I think what I find hard about the equation that you're positing, Jen, right? This idea that the more we feel like we're enough, the more potentially we will we will create policies and systems that will recognize how enough we are, right? Am I getting that right? Yeah, and I'm not necessarily sure about that, but I do believe that like the human, I don't believe that we're not, we're on this planet to not feel enough. Like I feel like, so I'm not sure the relationship to the system because I don't think the system is going to make us feel enough or treat us enough. But I do believe it's our human right to be enough. And it, I would tag in, I think, in our worldview, it goes the other way too, right? Like a healthy system is a system that makes people know that they're enough. So I don't think the worldview that we have is that it starts with you and it pervades out we also need a reinforcing culture. I mean, we do a lot of work with businesses and organizations about culture because you put great people in a crappy culture and they become crappy really quickly. So I don't think it's a linear. Again, it's, there's dialogue that we have with the system we're in. And I, I mean like meta dialogue, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm reading Cast, which... I would highly, highly recommend by Isabel Wilkerson. It's brilliant. I just highly recommend that book. I'd be curious to hear both of your thoughts if you get a chance to read it. What you both have said afterward sort of revises what I was was going to say, which is that systems, I don't remember who said it, but systems are set up to do what they do, right? So a system is, the way that it is set up is the end product of what it does. So in this case, I think our systems are intended to make many, many people not feel worthy. 
intentionally. I mean, that's the power structure, right? That's the 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 haves, the have-nots, the empower, the disempowered. Like that's the system that's set up right now. And so I guess, right, in thinking about conscious leadership, I think the kind of leader I would want to work with and for is someone who consciously understands that it's not just individual self-knowledge about what he or she or they are capable of. It's also a conscious leader who understands that the system, like as you said, Jeff, the systems that are in place are going to determine not just what someone is capable of, of, but what they believe they're capable of. Yeah. And that, to bring it all the way back, we had Dory McWhorter on the podcast a few months ago. And one of the things we talked about, the system works for the people who designed it. The people who designed it run it, right? So that's the tension point. And I don't know that I have a great answer to that other than the answer I keep giving about the more we see that for what it is, the closer we are to a solution. But I would also just personally offer that the helplessness that many people feel is a product of that system. And I firmly believe that the architects of the system want you to feel helpless. (laughs) They have a benefit in making you feel like there's nothing you can do about it. And I think that's where Jen and I are coming from about knowing your worth and claiming your worth. And it's what I see in people protesting on the street of saying like, listen to us. And it, we might be using different language, but I hope you can hear that the intent and the feeling behind it. Like in an odd way, I feel like the antidote to feeling helpless is to say, I will help. It's to not buy into the message that there's nothing that can be done, that it's so overwhelming. The debt is so large. The problems are insurmountable. Even saying like the problems are systemic, I think gives so many people an out of like, well, I didn't create the system. Well, that's too big to solve. And maybe I am just making a semantic argument, but I, I don't think so. I think we are being fed a line that it's so big you can't do anything about it. And I I reject it. I totally reject that thought. Now, I don't know, maybe that is like 50-year-old white guy who lives in Indiana, easy for me to say. But even by acknowledging that, I feel like I'm a step ahead of where I was. So I just feel like that is the bold work right now to wake up every day when you feel like so disillusioned and be like, I'm not going to be disillusioned. I have to believe that's enough because that's the only place it's going to start, you know? And the swirl that we're about to all go through about two months of debating and yelling, and I pray and hope that we can direct that swirl into something more positive than all pointing fingers at each other and showing how broken we are. I, I just think that that's what the architects want. And there's something better on offer. Jeff, I love you. And not just when you cry. Even oh. when you don't. <laughs> and Brian put all of that out. <laughs> I feel like I feel like what you just said cracked open the nut that I was having trouble cracking open. So thank you for that. I feel like it there was something that I couldn't connect between what you were saying, but perhaps what you and Jen were both saying about where the individual is 
and where they could be and the messages that we're all getting from what you call the architects. I call the matrix. And so (laughs) thank you for that and for digging deep. It really was incredibly helpful for me. So maybe it'll be helpful for somebody else. What a beautiful place to end. Yes. Let's not buy into our brokenness. We have a rally cry now, and I'm so grateful for the opportunity to have conversations with people like you that we get to go deep and feel like we're not so alone on this fucking crazy journey and to genuinely explore what clothes fit, where does it resonate and help each other pull each other out of the mud or be in the mud. And I think that's the new practices trying to be in the mud too of the confusion and, and yet know the Lotus is possible. Like know that that beautiful peace lily, that blossoming that only emerges out of the mud is there on offer as beckoning, inviting us to see it and create it and become it. So to be continued, you're wonderful. We can't wait to continue our conversation. And if people are interested in learning more about you or seeing your work, where can they find more information about you? Well, if you go to Mother Jones and look at Recharge, I sometimes write there. Otherwise, if people want to continue talking about this, I'm happy to. You can just email me at guptavenu at gmail.com. Venu, I love you too. We love you. More to discuss. We have to come, you have to come back. We can talk about caste. We can talk about other systemic thought is that there has to be mud to create the lotus. And I do wonder as much as I love the Buddhist way of looking at things, I wonder if that's also a line we've all been fed that it's got to be miserable to get something gotta be hard yeah it's gotta be hard why has that been used by lots of systems to repress people for thousands of years so more to unpack thanks for helping thanks for all the help that you're doing for being you well thank you both for the time to talk with you both jennifer was so lovely to meet you and i i'm looking forward to continuing our conversation in one way or another either through writing or by voice. And I really am grateful for all the work that you two are doing. And I'm looking forward to to it sort of rippling out to everywhere. So thank you both. And thank you for having me on the show. And Brian, again, thank you. (laughs) Yes. Thanks, everybody. And thanks for listening to Plenty for Everyone. We would love it if you would uh, subscribe and share If you want to watch this on uh, video, you can. We have a YouTube channel, so check us out there or at plentyconsulting.com. So we look forward to hearing and speaking with you soon. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks for tuning in. Join the conversation and learn more at www.plentyconsulting.com.